bloody out there. <laughs> Holiday mode. What, what a weekend, you know. Like, uh, well, we've got long weekends. Uh, we've got school holidays. We've got daylight saving. Tim's away. <laughs> and it's a football grand final. <laughs> Nothing much happening today. So we're so glad that you've arrived. And uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here uh, sharing God's word with you. Uh, especially considering I'm so old. Uh, Tim G pointed out some time ago that he thought I was 90. And uh, Millie, on a mission trip, affirmed that. She said, I think Greg's about 90-something. You know? <laughs> so to have this old guy stand up in front of you is uh, joy, and we've got a defibrillator uh, standing by. I tell you, it wasn't easy getting out of the nursing home this morning. <laughs> Leading street fair like with a walker is not easy, so um, anyway, we'll hopefully get through without medication. So we're in a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're drawing to the end of that series. And I've loved this series on the Holy Spirit. I've said to Tim G a number of times uh, that I feel this has been his group, actually. I feel like when I listened to him preach on the Holy Spirit, I felt like there was some stream that was very true to his calling and his heart in God that he was actually sharing with us. And when I listened to the other speakers uh, speak as well, I felt a similar thing, that this was a season for us to really be talking about the Holy Spirit's ministry, which we love so much. And we've been talking about what it means to be baptised, filled, gifted, anointed with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit might be flowing through us and so on. And the various speakers have encouraged you to come and receive and to come to a time of ministry and let the Holy Spirit touch you and fill you. And that's been an important part of the journey these past months. But I believe we are in desperate need of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these days. Like a full-on, no-holds-barred outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on. And we need also, along with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I believe we need a revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ to come afresh again today, mm. in these days, yeah. perhaps more than ever in the history of the church. Uh, I remember back in 1969-70, most of you weren't alive, there's a few patriarchs around who are, uh, who are uh, little children at that stage. <laughs> Some of us were uh, very much alive in 1969-70. And I remember in 1970, the Holy Spirit actually was poured out in in California. Uh, it hit New Zealand, it hit Australia. And I was at Lithgow at the stage, and the Holy Spirit was being poured out on young adults in Lithgow, of all places, you know. And it was a time of really long hair. I had hair, like, down here. And it was a time of hippie gear, uh, flares purple trousers, psychedelic clothes, it was a time of drugs, uh, anti-war protests were common, and coffee houses were the big thing with flower power. And I remember wearing badges with flower power on them when I was a young person. And the Holy Spirit was at work, and many young people through this movement began to follow Christ. We had young adults come through Lisgo and to Lisgo who were actually being converted and were converted supernaturally. They were drawn to Christ during this particular outpouring. It was a weird time. And there was great emphasis on evangelism and there was some wacky eschatology as well. Thank you, Lindsay. But there was this 
emphasis on Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus. Jesus is the way, you know. And we all were wearing badges one way with a Jesus finger like this, one way, you know. And we wore them everywhere. We were so happy to be identified with one way to follow Jesus. And this movement was called the Jesus Movement, the Jesus People Movement. And the people who were in the movement, guess what we were called? Jesus Freaks. <laughs> Jesus Freaks, you know. And it's just really interesting that after all this time, I still just consider myself to be an old Jesus Freak. You know, and the coffee's thrown in as well, which is great, because that's how the Jesus Freaks used to gather around coffee, and something called cinnamon toast, and raisin toast was the big thing. And we would just talk about Jesus, and we would sing, and we would sing all the songs, and then occasionally move in Freaks, Clearwater Revival, but it was mainly about Jesus. And I've experienced seasons when the Holy Spirit has been moving, and where suddenly... Jesus is being lifted up. Suddenly, people are being really drawn to the Saviour. And there's a supernatural work that goes on. I've seen it many times. We want to see it again. Because it's all about Jesus, ultimately. And Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? is the compelling question for every generation. Every person must answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? And I would suggest that actually what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus is probably the most important thing about your life and about who you are. What you think about Jesus, what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important part of who you are, the most important thing about you. So on this last Sunday, I want to do two things. I want to talk about of the series on the Spirit. I want to talk about uh, pneumatology, so I want to talk about the theology of the Holy Spirit a little bit, and I want to talk about Christology, the theology about Christ. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will, might, might just stir up a fresh uh, passion and hunger for Christ in your life. Mm, you say, well, I'm already a Christian. Well, you know, I've been a Christian 60, almost 60 years. And I just feel like I'm on the outer fringes. I'm just barely touching the outer reaches of actually who Christ is. So we need to study this together. I want you to turn, if you've got your scriptures there, you've got some technology or a Bible or something uh, there, uh, you can read maybe with me. And we're going to look at John 16. You'll know if you're, as Bible students, we're all Bible students, you know, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus begins talking about his departure and he's, he's talking about the advent of the Holy Spirit that he's going to send. And then he says in John 16, 14, speaking of the Spirit, Jesus taught, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. You can underline that in technology, highlight it with one little <laughs> highlighter colors. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So there it is. Uh, he will glorify me. This Holy Spirit who I'm going to give you, this advocate that I'm going to pour out and leave with you so that you're no longer orphans. So don't fear, don't worry, I'm giving you the advocate. And he will glorify me. He will reveal me. And he will receive what is from me and he will make it known to you. He's going to give you revelation upon revelation. He's going to unveil the riches of Christ. So Jesus says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. He will teach you, guide you. He will reveal Christ 
to you. He'll reveal me to you. So a key job description of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit will point you to Christ. The Holy Spirit will reveal Christ to you. That's his role. He'll make Christ known. J.R. Packer used to say, the Holy Spirit is the floodlight ministry of Christ. He, he just points the light on Christ, highlights the beauty and the splendor of Christ. That's what he does. So the Spirit will pull back the veil and he will give you a revelation of Christ. You just need to pray and ask for that revelation. You just need to pray and ask for that revelation. And so we have it at Pentecost, the, you know, the disciples are gathered in the upper room, suddenly blue flames, some kind of flame just falls on their heads, and the Holy Spirit just comes and fills them. What do they do? They just go out and Peter starts preaching the riches of Christ, the story of Christ, the truth of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the experience of God. The Holy Spirit is the experience of God. And in John 16, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will reveal me to you. He will glorify me. And, you know, we know that glorify basically means to, to honour, uh, to praise, to magnify, to exalt, to prioritise, to lift up. So the Spirit's work is one of making Christ known to your heart and glorifying Christ. We say it often, and I've preached this a number of times even from this, in this church, yeah, Christianity is not just a philosophy, although it is philosophical sometimes. It's not a ritual. It's not abstract theology. It's not an ideology. It's not a psychological therapy or a 12-step you know, and get well program. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ in his essence. It's nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ. So Christianity is the good news to every person in this room, to all of us, that beauty, truth, goodness, forgiveness, hope, relationship are found in a person. But as late this week, and uh, Frank Viola pointed out about 12 years ago, they said, if the truth be told, we've been handed a sort of a, a shrink-wrapped Jesus. <laughs> Christ has become our once-a-week mascot. We rally around him on Sunday mornings, selfishly reaching for all we can get from him. Goodies and gifts. Give me, give me, give me, all of a sudden. Then we push him off to the sidelines for the rest of the week until next Sunday when we come to get more goodies. <laughs> yeah. There is a consumer form of Christianity that's very focused on that kind of thing. and It's like coming to church to get a Tony Robbins motivational speech, you know, to make your life work better. You know, I've been to some of his rallies, by the way. <laughs> uh, but Christianity is not like that. Christianity is not just a motivational talk with a smattering of Jesus thrown in. Sometimes I think Christians may we may all suffer from something called JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. You know, sometimes I, I visit churches where I preach, and and sometimes I listen to the worship, and Jesus doesn't even crack mention in the worship. Mm. And the gospel we preach, the lives we live, must be focused on and must be a revelation of Christ the King in His fullness. The gospel is not a disaster insurance policy to make sure you don't go to hell. It's not a ticket reserving a seat for you in, in heaven. 
It's not about a Santa Claus God or a performance-based religion, you know, an ethical-based system that you need to follow in order to be accepted or approved. The gospel we preach is Jesus. And so Paul encounters Christ on the Damascus Road and then he was commissioned to what? To preach the boundless, the unlimited riches of Christ. So Jesus Christ is far beyond what most of us could ever imagine or even dream of. I'm praying the Holy Spirit would just I don't know, do something in our hearts and minds this morning just to increase the vision, you know, to expand our capacity to wrestle with something of the splendor of Christ. Mm. You know, that's why we need a fresh look at Christ today. It's so vital in this generation when the church has lost so much reputation. I'll tell you what, don't be ashamed of Christ. We might be mm. embarrassed about what the church has done mm. in all kinds of ways, but don't be embarrassed about mm. Jesus. Think about who Christ is, your Saviour and your Redeemer, your Shepherd, your Advocate, your Mediator, your Bridegroom. He is your Conqueror, your Lion, your Lamb, your Sacrifice. He is your Living Water, your Food, your Drink, your Dwelling Place, your Sabbath, your Jubilee. He is your New Wine. He is your Aroma, your Anchor, your Wisdom. He is your Peace, your Comfort, your Healer. He is your Joy. He's your glory, he's your power, he's your strength, he's your wealth, he's your victory, he's your redemption, he's your prophet, he's your priest, he's your teacher, he's your guide, he's your liberator, your deliverer, your prince. He's your vision, your sight, your beloved, your way, your truth, your life. He's your author, he's your finisher, he's your beginning, your end, your eternity, your all in all. He's the eternal Christ who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Yet he is new to you every single morning. He's your king and he's your judge. Incredible. May we be a community that are of Christ, through Christ and for Christ. Amen. Someone say amen. 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 A people of the cross. We call this cruciform cruciform Christianity. Christ-centered, cross-centered Christianity, cruciform believers, are people who are consumed with an unvarnished vision of God's eternal passion, which is to make Christ preeminent, supreme, the head of all things, Mm. to be consumed with that vision, are people who wish to know only Jesus Christ and Him crucified and let everything else fall away. People who are searching for his immeasurable depths, as someone has said, exploring his unfathomable heights, discovering his unsearchable riches, encountering his abundant life, receiving his infinite love and making him known to others. A people who are captured by a compelling vision of Christ, knowing him, following him, worship, exalting him, and a people who commune with him. A people who are passionate about Christ, when I was pastoring way back in the day, uh, we'd finish worship and I'd often come to the lectern, the pulpit, the lectern, whatever, and I just couldn't help but just start to sing, just spontaneously, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Mm. Look full in his wonderful face. Mm. And the things of earth will grow strange and dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe. And I would just mm. sing it and sing it and the church would rise up and sing it. And we'd all just sing it and I'd just be crying, oh, the light of his glory. That that song was written a hundred years ago by a blind lady. Mm -hmm. She had no capacity to see with the physical eyes, but she saw with the spiritual eyes. And she turned the spiritual eyes and she saw the beauty of Jesus. If only we could do that. 
more often. Karl Barth, who was probably the greatest theologian, many would say, of the 20th century, was asked to summarise his massive theological uh, 12 volumes on, uh, on dogmatics, theological dogmatics. And he says, how could I summarise all that? He said, well, I think I'd summarise it this way. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. <laughs> You're going to Karl Barth, you got it. After all, Jesus... This is worth writing down. After all, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. Thomas Aquinas, who others would consider to be perhaps the church's greatest teacher and philosopher in the history of the church, he wrote a massive thing called Summa Theologica, and uh, that was about 1.5 million words. It's this massive tome of theology. And he had one day a revelation of Christ when he was studying, and the Holy Spirit came to him. And he, after this, he said, I can write no more. He said, compared with what I've seen, all that I've written in theology seems to be just straw. Wow. Wrote 1.5 million mm. words. He says, compared with this revelation I've had of Christ, it just seems like straw. Mm. He realized he'd been crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, and that Christ lived in and through him. It's interesting, in the beginning of the Welsh Revivals, I studied the Welsh Revivals a lot, and um, I was actually going to speak on the Welsh Revivals today and some of the other revivals, but the Holy Spirit, I was talking to him in the shower the other day, <laughs> he told me not to, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm just going to, I said, can I just mention a couple of things? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, in the Welsh Revival of 1904, uh, you know, it was a great revival. You need to study it sometime if you get a chance. There's many books written on it. I have them, but uh, in that Welsh revival, 100,000 people came to Christ in just like just over 12 months. Can you imagine? Just imagine in Fairlight or in the Northern Beach, 100,000 people come to Christ in the next 12 months because they have a, a vision, a revelation of Jesus. Wow. You know? And it was really interesting in the middle of that, in the, in the early stage of that revival, there was a little girl, 90 year old girl, uh, her name was Florrie uh, Evans. And she came to one of the revival meetings. People were starting to gather. The Holy Spirit was starting to fall. It was very dense. Very, you know, I don't know whether you've been in a revival, but the Holy, it's like the Holy Spirit is very dense. It's very rich. Like the air is very thick with the Holy Spirit. And um, she came to meetings that was like that, but it hadn't fully busted out. And she came to the house and said, I want to become a Christian, but I can't because I think he might want too much of me. So I said, okay. We just left it there. Anyway, she comes back the next night and the Holy Spirit falls on her and in the middle of the meeting there's a thousand people begin had begun to gather and she just cries out and she says, Oh, I love Jesus with all my heart. Like that. Suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on the meeting. And people start to give their lives to Christ. Repentance just busts out all over the place. Revival just just really pierces Wales in uh, an incredible way. I tell the stories I've been told, <laughs> but uh, it was an amazing outpouring. But she says, "I love Jesus with all my heart." See, it's all about Jesus Christ. Christians don't follow Christianity. We don't follow Christianity. We follow Christ. Christians don't preach themselves; they proclaim Christ. Christians don't preach denominations. We don't preach manly life. We preach Christ. Christian leaders don't promote themselves, build platforms for themselves, build ministries for themselves. They promote and exalt Christ. And it's interesting, when the, when the Welsh Revival was breaking out in 1904, we've got another revival breaking out on the East Coast, uh, West Coast of America, Azusa Street. 
And in, the, in, the, in that revival, when it was breaking up, the Holy Spirit was falling on the man. It was such power. It said that the pastor, he had a milk crates for a, for, a, for a pulpit. He would hide behind the milk crates so nobody could see his face. So no glory would be stolen from Christ. Would that that would happen in the church today? Yeah, that he may increase and we may decrease. That he may be glorified and lifted up. Paul said to the Corinthians, I resolved when I was with you to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So may we all have a burning heart for Christ. One more note about the Welsh Revival. <laughs> you know, in the Welsh Revival, they would come out of the meeting sometimes 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and, and they were just filled with the Spirit, praising God, walking through the streets. And in in Narrabee, they walk through the streets in summer at that time in the morning, but they're not singing this, you know. But they're walking through the streets singing this song. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who is love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise. And they would begin to sing this other song called Worthy is the Lamb, Worthy is the Lamb, Worthy is the Lamb. Three o'clock in the morning, possessed by a superior vision. Of the splendid, glorious, majestic Christ being filled with His Spirit. <laughs> I love the song we sang last Sunday. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you all things are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory, day and night, night and day. Let it sense arise. It seems that over the past fifty years, as I've observed. The Holy Spirit is almost lifting his baton on the poets and the musicians across the globe. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit says, now, lifting his baton, all of a sudden, poets, songwriters, musicians, all around the world are writing worship songs to the King. And they're not all brilliant, but they're all an expression of the Holy Spirit's orchestration of praise and worship, an eruption of worship for the King. Jesus Christ is to be our passion, he's to be our pursuit, our reason for being, our goal, he's our heart's desire, and he's bigger and more than you could ever dream or imagine. And the mystical thing for me, there's so many mystical things for me, the mystical thing for me is that I believe heaven for God is your heart. Heaven for God is your heart, which he makes his own. Let me talk about the supremacy and glory of Christ just a little more, if I may. The Holy Spirit has an intense agenda to fill the church with a revelation of Christ. His role is to teach about Christ, reveal Christ, and stir our hearts. And when you look at the life of Jesus, we see the glory of Christ in his teaching, in his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his gentleness, his inclusivity, his love, his healing miracles, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and his glorious ascension. But then the Holy Spirit comes as in, in a fresh wave and he starts to inspire the writers of Scripture. He gets hold of the writer of the Hebrews and he inspires him to say this, Oh, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint or icon of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He says, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know anything about who God is, look at Jesus. He's the exact image, icon, imprint of who God is. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write Christ. So, you know, just gets hold of Paul, seizes him and says, 
And it says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, powers and authorities, rulers. All things were created through Him and for Him. He's before everything and everything is held together in Christ. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things in heaven or earth, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And then He gets hold of Paul again. And Paul writes... And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Wow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge he is Lord. And then he writes to the girl, this Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, you know. He inspires the apostle John, the ancient apostle, to write these words. Look, he is coming with the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. And he says, the kingdoms of the world became the, king, became the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. His name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And John just goes, just by listening with a revelation of Christ. How can you not love a Lord like that? How can you not bow the knee to a God like that? How can you not know this radiant Lord and allow Him to capture your heart and ravish your very soul? How can you not make Jesus Christ your life's pursuit for the rest of your days? Paul says the love of God is made real into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And this is the Spirit who reveals Christ, who reveals Him, who reveals Him, who warms your heart, who draws your heart, who pulls your heart, and who's always glorifying, magnifying Jesus. So may the Spirit of God reveal to each of us more and more the awe-inspiring nature of Christ. May He be glorified. And we must continually be renewed in this. And when this happens, a new hunger, a new thirst for Christ-likeness results. And we're sometimes you know, spiritually bored because we don't have a vision of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of boredom in the Christian church because we just don't have a superior vision of Christ and who He is. And so we need to look at the mystery of Christ. There's a lot of mystery in Christ. And I encourage you to wrestle with the mystery of Christ. The mystery of God is this, uh, Viola and Sweet wrote many years ago, that the one who is the visible, this is the mystery, that the one who is the visible image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of Godhead dwells, the one who is the living residence of the Trinity, the one who from eternity lives and breathes and has its being, the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the firstborn, from, uh, of the universe, who rose from the dead never to die again. The conqueror of death, sin and the grave, the creator, saviour, redeemer and forgiver. The one who holds all together in himself. The one who is the head and authority and source of the church. The one who is perfect love. The one who reconciled all things. The one who nailed to his bloody cross every law, rule and regulation that would condemn the loved people of God. The one who is the supreme one in every realm who holds all things in first place. The peerless, wonderful, magnificent Christ. This one has chosen to place his fullness in you. 
catch mm. us, blows your mind. You know? mm. He's chosen to place fullness mm. in you, in your heart. And Paul writes, God has made known to you the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's enough, friends. He's more than enough. <laughs> Make Christ your life, your everything, your focus, your great passion. You know, that's a deep and wonderful mystery. The Westminster Larger Catechism echoes Jesus' words from John 17, where it says, Man's chief end, his highest end, is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. So the Spirit reveals Christ. He pulls back the veil. He shows you who Christ is. He makes Christ real to your heart. He gives you the tangible experience of the presence and glory of Christ in your life. So how do you get that? What do you, what's our role in that? Well, I'll give you a couple of suggestions in closing. Ask the Spirit, firstly, to give you that revelation of Christ. Just mm. ask Him. Mm. You know, he wants to do that. And I found that the key for me is to spend time in prayer. Mm. And I'm a bit like a broken record with it, I know. But spend time in prayer. Set aside that time. Get up early in the morning. Go to your prayer room. Spend time sitting in the presence. Mm. Meditating on the scriptures. Sit with Jesus. And ask for a revelation of who he is. I promise you he will give it to you. I promise you he will give it to you. I promise you he will give it to you. It's yours. So sit with Jesus. And be desperate. To live for Christ every day. Don't hold back on telling people about Jesus. Yeah, we might be a bit embarrassed about church history and <laughs> certain things that have happened. But, you know, there's a lot that we need to say about that on another occasion. But don't be embarrassed about Jesus. Hold him out to people and say, I follow Jesus. I'm just a Jesus freak, basically. <laughs> Wear that gladly, you know. And draw other people to the Savior. Amen? Amen. Hi. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.